let's let's just keep going with the performance stuff. It's too complicated to coordinate. Yeah. Robert, you want to kick us off on that? Performance reviews, baby. Yeah. It's it's that time of year. That time of quarter. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't do our reviews annually. Yeah. So we do semi-annual reviews here, and you're either Q1, Q3, or Q2, Q4. And that means yeah. that there are reviews being done, performance reviews being done every quarter. And mm-hmm. our process is quite in-depth. There's, I think, everybody gets three to five pages of written text on, across a number of dimensions about your performance for a six-month period. And as a result, you know, since we have four times the amount of performance reviews every year and maybe two to three times the quantity of them to deal with every year, I think we, we see some patterns that maybe emerge a little bit more quickly. And so since we're in performance review season and it's top of mind, maybe let's talk about an observation around performance reviews and maybe some things that if you're a manager, a leader, executive, individual contributor, you can take those ideas and maybe boost your career a little bit or be a more effective leader because of it. Does that sound good to y'all? Sounds great. Very timely for us. And we spent a lot of time, Robert, maybe just the baseline for some of our listeners we could probably all answer this question. How long do you think you spend on writing a review, including all the interviews and everything else that you have to do, that quality assurance and delivery and all that? Yeah, so to be clear, I write six performance reviews, per, between six and eight per year, based on the number of mentees I have assigned to me. And then I attend 12-ish sessions where another mentor comes in and presents a review and we give feedback on it. 12 sessions a quarter, and they're about an hour, 30 minutes to an hour. Does that seem right to you? Yeah. I haven't uh, tracked in a it, while. It, it, dep- it depends usually how many people I have to interview and how nuanced the review uh, has to be because of the things that are coming up. Oh, that's true, too. On, on the reviews you write, there's a, a tremendous amount of interviewing and, and writing. It, you, that used to take me forever. It's much faster now, but yeah. So there's multifacets to thinking about the performance the demonstrated performance of people at all different levels and trying to project out their future career growth and give them opportunities to grow and making sure that their feedback is fair and on point. And it's not one of those, we usually line them up and you have one day on, one day off kind of thing. And you may have three or four sessions in a row where you have to be on because this is not something you can really slouch on. This People's careers yeah. are are affected deeply by by these reviews and their permanent record and all that kind of stuff. And we do a lot of things right. I think we get paid hefty dividends on the effort. Like it's definitely worth it for us, but it does take a lot of time and you have to do it right. And I definitely have parts of it that I really enjoy and that energize me and then parts of the review process that are not quite as enjoyable and pretty draining. Usually for me, that's in the documentation, like the actual writing of the review I don't get any, any joy out of that. If I could get feedback from people and then have a conversation with my mentee, that would be my preferred way of handling that. I, I prefer not to write a five-page letter, but I understand why You do a good necessary. job. You put a lot of effort in. You and Charles, I'll just affirm that in front of all of our listeners that y'all do a really great job writing I, reviews. I, I think we all take it seriously. I don't, I don't think we treat it as a chore. It's, it's a big responsibility. And it's our responsibility to the people that we work with and that we want to see succeed and want to become executives. So it's a, it's a big deal. Can't slouch on it. Yeah, there, there's a funny analog here where you could raise the question, why are people so bad at Christmas? It comes at the same time every year. Everyone's always buying presents late, those kind of things. And it's because 
it doesn't happen that often, right? If you're 30, you've only had 30 shots at Christmas. And most of those were when you were a kid. And so it really looks more like 10. And performance reviews are probably the same way. Oh, Igor just bailed. Thanks for joining back. I think it's fine. So performance reviews are kind of the same way. They're like this yearly thing. You don't do them that often. You're not good at things you don't do that often. And we have to do it four times a year. So I think that helps with the, if you're putting in hours to gain mastery over a skill, like that's, we're doing it four times as fast. I've gotten a lot better. And I think I've gotten better in this. I don't spend less time, but I've gotten better at getting more use out of the time that I spend. Because I do spend probably, depending on the review, 20 hours per review. But I just squeeze a lot more value into that time. But I haven't been able to cut back and say, oh, only Wait, 20 hours for a single review? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because Rob- I... We'll, go, well, Robert, that's consistent for you too? No, I think I do much less. I'm trying to think the time spent in the interviewing side and taking notes and then distilling those notes definitely is the heavier part. But I think I'm much less than that. I, I don't... Maybe five to 10 hours? Yeah, I was going to say max for me, eight per review with with easily over half of it being the okay i've gathered all the feedback i need to synthesize come up with a narrative come up with the forward looking stuff and present it and adjust it after presenting it based on feedback that's 20 mm-hmm. hours you go man i'm wow. just a bad writer i think and so i have to I have to continuously that, that's the toughest part for me the synthesis and, and all those sort of things it's time consuming for sure yeah but I think I probably spend more time in the writing than y'all because I'm not as good at it. Yeah, that, that is where I have improved the most in terms of efficiency while maintaining effectiveness is it's in the writing itself. And I was going to say, we all, we absolutely, 100%, we invest a lot of time and energy. We take it very seriously. And there is quite a bit of variation in terms of how we each approach reviews. I, I bet if we ran around, went around the horn here, we would all have slightly different processes and preference in terms of how we gather feedback and how we synthesize it and how we spread that over time or not. And there's, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who was commenting on, hey, I, I had to work over the holiday weekend to write this review. Right? It's a sign of commitment because right? it is important and they took time out of the holiday to do it. Also probably a sign of Poor planning. Shouldn't have to have done that, but that's it happens. I've done it before, late night review writing and things like that. And we described, I asked them what their process was and how they approached it. I had a hypothesis and they confirmed it. And then I offered a, essentially a complete 180 approach to what they did. And it was just fun to compare how people think about writing a review, which whose purpose is to provide forward-looking direction on growth for an individual. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do it, even though we have a very standard process, we've got a standard document, we've got objective criteria in which to evaluate people, right? There's all of that standardization and yet very subjective in terms of how we arrive at that final document. And I think that's fascinating. Maybe one of the differences for me is that I don't accept written feedback. And, And so every person that I talk to is a half an hour to an hour long conversation. And then it probably takes me another hour or so to synthesize each of those conversations into like meaningful uh, insights. So mm-hmm. that, that that's also a pretty time-consuming process that I could probably really 
cut down on if I just ask for written feedback from people. I'm with you though. Written feedback, you lose a lot. And so I do conversations for feedback instead of 30 minutes to an hour. It probably ranges from 15 to 45 minutes. So I try to shrink time there. And I actually try to synthesize in the conversation. I'll gather feedback from one person in my conversation with the next person. I'm synthesizing that person's feedback in real time with the feedback that I've gathered to date. And so that that's my approach. It's like I synthesize as I go, as I get more feedback. And yeah, there's... I'm curious, Charles, does that impact the way that you order your interviews? Yes. Or do you talk to certain people before others? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I am very intentional about the order. And I also, I start with the person's self-assessment. Like right. that is the baseline. Mm-hmm. Like I don't do any gathering of feedback until I have that because I I start off with here's self-assessment of the person and how they're doing and how they've grown and what they should be focusing on next. I then synthesize that with my own experience and understanding through conversations to date and what I know about the person. And I go in to feedback sessions where I'm gathering feedback. I already have a hypothesis. And so a lot of the feedback, how I guide my feedback conversations is around confirming, denying hypothesis and, hey, what am I missing? Tell me what I've missed. And so I have, I usually have very targeted questions as opposed to, hey, it's just a blank slate. Tell me anything and everything that you want, which oftentimes results in significant overlap in feedback between people because people on a team observe the same behavior and they observe the same events and they which is good because you get that confirmation, but um, too much of that, and then it's just inefficient. And so I, I try to preempt some of that through how I order interviews and stuff like that. Really important points here I want to pause on. One is when you're getting feedback to write a review, interviewing other people in person is important. Body language, tonality, you can ask probing questions, you can triangulate. It's more of a discussion. Things emerge from that instead of just asking someone to give you a list of bullet points and And then you can build off of them as you go through interviews to dig a little deeper. And then the self-assessment, you should all, if you're being reviewed, you should be giving someone a self-generated assessment of how you think you did during that period against the criteria you have for your job. It's a way to tell your career story, to get full credit for the work that you've done, to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. But it's also an indication of how self-aware you are. And Mm -hmm. you can use that too for reviews that you're writing as well. It's like, hey, does this person have good self-awareness of where they're really at or are they just trying to magnify the good stuff yeah. so they can make more money? And whether this is fair or not, <laughs> my mentees, I don't know if they listen to this or not, but it also shows me how invested you are in your career by the, the quality of your self-review. And you, you can tell pretty easily if somebody has given thought and intention and energy into writing their self-review or if it was an afterthought and just a couple of bullets. So... It's also an indication of how invested somebody is into shepherding their own career forward. Unique process for performance reviews. But I think this idea of a self-assessment, coming up with your own narrative for what you've been focusing on, the goals you've accomplished, where you want to grow next, that's really powerful even outside of our system that I think everybody should adopt. Whether or not the company that you work for really embraces that or requires that or even does anything with it because what I, the way that it works for me, right? I'll talk about my experience writing self-assessments and now for us, they call them introspections. It's so helpful for me to look back and reflect on 
where I've come, what I've done, what I've learned, it solidifies it for me. Like, And it is, even if none of that makes it into the final review, oftentimes it doesn't, right? Because it's just raw input. It's up to the mentor who writes our reviews in our company to distill that down, integrate it with other people's feedback. And so you know, it, sometimes it's hard to tell. Did they even read the self-review? I know they did. But it is a helpful and useful exercise regardless of if it ever makes its way into your review because it really does help you gosh, what is the word I'm looking for here? Make sense of what has happened, right? Take stock of, just like we do every every year, right? We, we kind of plan, review the year, look ahead a year. This is a this is another opportunity to do that and get you yeah, to stick it's in. a moment of reflection. Yeah, and looking forward too, because we get so caught up in mm, the delivery mm-hmm. of the day-to-day. This is an opportunity to say, hey, six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, what do I want my trajectory to be? And that can inform how we adjust our time and energy expenditure, which goals we focus on and prioritize and things like that. And so it's just a wonderful moment of reflection that we don't get enough of. We're always forward looking and we miss so much by not looking back. And so highly recommend people do that, even if you're not asked to. There's a lot of power in that for yourself. Yeah. And and the world of professional sports can teach us a lot about world-class performance, And if you want to be a world-class performer, you can maybe take some behaviors and practices from people who are world-class, and a lot of them review game tape. Everybody, right? Here's the second-by-second, frame-by-frame breakdown of how you reacted in a situation, and you can look at that and modify future behavior by looking at past performance. And so it's a way to make your own game tape. And I think that's a practice that's well-proven, helps increase performance. Yeah, can we maybe shift gears a moment and talk about like our role as mentors and review writers in terms of having that hypothesis like around what where is this person heading and what are they capable of and really trying to push them? Can we talk about that or is there anything else we want to That's that would up take on? up the rest of the episode, so let's do that and then we'll do like a part 2 next time maybe. Can I do a quick little bonus thing because it's related to our series? Yeah, go for it. And uh, so reading the book, The Nine Lies, inspired me to make a very tactical change in my review writing process. And it really has to do with, I think it's line number three, which was the best company's cascade goals. And so one of the iterations on my review process is that I started asking all of my mentees to tell me what CDP's development opportunities they want to work on. And before I wasn't doing that, I was assigning things that I thought would be good for them based on feedback and career growth and all that sort of stuff. And I, because of, because of reading this book, I modified my process and started co-creating in the CDP process a lot more than I did before. So just a little inflection because of this book that relates to our topic. So That's part it. of your self-review or introspection is creating your own hypothesis about yeah. where you should grow. Exactly. Cool. Right. And then that ties in, Charles, I think, to what you were saying, which is as a leader, as some someone's manager, mentor, whatever, whoever you are, if you're in a review writing role, you have an obligation as part of this to not only accurately assess the performance over a review period, but mm-hmm. also spend some time intentionally thinking about how to help your direct get to the next level. Yeah. 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 There's when you start off as a mentor writing reviews. You have to get the fundamentals down of accurately gathering feedback, representing the facts, 
evaluating them against the objective framework. So that's foundational stuff. And then from there, it's the learning how to learn what your mentee wants to do and encouraging them and pushing them in ways that are in alignment with the firm, which is challenging at times. And then beyond that, it's, and oftentimes that takes the form of over the next six months or to get you to the next major promotion we'll talk there. Then the next level is think five years out, 10 years out, think, think about your entire career overall. So that there's a, as you mature as a mentor and review writer, it's, you, you do have that obligation to look further out ahead, right? Because especially for those people that are doing well, before we started recording, Robert, you were talking about how sometimes it's hard to find constructive feedback for those people that are doing so well in their role currently. Oftentimes, the way out of that is to think farther ahead. Think two promotions from now, three, five, and widen the time horizon. And, and oftentimes, that can, provide, that can provide really interesting insight as to what they should be thinking about right now. And I think that's what the best mentors do. And that's what I strive to do. And I oftentimes fail, but I'm reminded by some of my great mentors that I had because they were really good at helping me to look ahead and avoid, avoid mistakes in difficult situations and uh, take that time to not only look back, but look forward as well, like far out, farther out than we're used to as humans. Yeah, and on that note too, th this is especially more effective if you're close to level of the person you're writing a review for. And it's very hard the farther you get from a level to understand what it was like to move from one to the next or the kind of issues that you're going through right then and there. So if you're three to five years ahead of your direct that you're writing reviews for, that's a sweet spot where I think the the ability to do that would be pretty poignant. And then if you have much more of a time gap or experience gap, that can really help think through that sort of decade or more time frame, which could glean some interesting insights. So you probably need a good mixture of both inputs going into like a very serious contemplation of how to help your direct grow. Makes sense. Okay, cool. So why don't we end this one here and then we'll pick up next week with maybe an observation or two from each of us around what we've experienced around writing reviews, receiving reviews, those kind of things and, and some actionable ad advice, guidance, thoughts, ideas on each of those. Does that sound good to y'all? Yeah. Okay. Love it. Cool. Cool. We'll do that next week. And then the following week, we'll close out nine lines about work. Awesome. Nice little detour with y'all. I'm glad we had a chance to get together today. It almost didn't happen. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Love it. All right. Take care, guys. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.